What's up everybody and welcome back, welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I'm going to hit you with a double trouble, you've had the welcome back and now, <coughs> that one got me, I'm sipping on a blue monster, I haven't had a 3D energy drink in a while actually and I could really do with a 3D energy drink, I'm going to have to hit up Insight and, and try get one sorted, because I missed a flavour, I'm not going to lie. Um, this podcast is dedicated to all of you natty little fucks out there, or my natural lifters, this is going to be for you now. I know some people are going to say, why are you talking about natural lifting, bro, you're on steroids. I lifted naturally for nine of my ten years. I've only I've not even been on steroids for a year yet, so you best believe I built some good tissue and some good ass muscle when I was natural, and I and I kind of learned the optimization of things years and years ago before I even got into the steroids thing because I I knew that I needed the platform to be able to launch myself when I did go onto those steroids. So I'm here to talk through all of these things. It's going to relate to pretty much 99% of my audience. I hope this is the audience I like to attract. Um, I do never endorse the use of steroids. I would never encourage the use of steroids and I would never actually, I never really give advice on steroids either because I just know how fucked up the whole thing is. Um, We inject ourselves into our bottoms for what more muscle it's pretty crazy i know i'm not going to justify it or talk about it any more than that but this is for all you natural lifters out there i'm going to break down every single thing that you can be doing in order to be maximizing maximizing your potential to build muscle now massive emphasis on maximizing because can you build muscle without doing a lot of these things yes you can is it going to be optimal no it's not so i'm going to talk you through what is going to be optimal every little marginal gain that you could possibly get there's probably more out there but these are the ones that i'm thinking of and the ones i've got written down here in my little show notes Um, And I hope you can get some value from this because I know that a lot of kids, I knew that this is what I would have wanted when I was younger, just about to sit down and listen to one podcast about training, food, digestion, recovery, all this kind of stuff, um, and just have it summarized for me. So this is what I'm going to try and do for you guys. Um, So let's jump straight into it. I'm going to break it down. Um, We're going to have nutrition, we can have training, supplements, recovery, anything else I can think of along those lines, as I'm sure I will spark something in my brain along as I go forward and uh, I'll probably rant about something knowing me. So first of all, nutrition. Now there's a lot of things we can do to nutritionally maximize what we're doing. Um, I'm going to start at the basics, food quality. Food quality will always win. Um, Why will food quality win? Because it's got a better spectrum of micronutrients, it's going to be easier to digest and generally speaking you're just going to be healthier, aren't you? I mean if we take 50 grams, like we said, 50 grams of carbohydrates from, you know, some sweets or something. We look at the micronutritional profile of that versus 50 grams of sugar from fruit, let's say. We know that you're going to get a lot more micronutrition, fiber, um, and just things that are going to benefit your your body, your mind much better in, in the fruit than, than the sweets. I think that's... That's something that gets lost in translation, I think, because we do get this whole calories in versus calories out debate a lot. And yes, it really fucking is calories in versus calories out to a certain extent. But when we consider digestion, assimilation, you know, gut, my, gut microbiome and, and the things that we're trying to optimize throughout the whole process, um, 
it gets lost, you know, the, the the calories in versus calories out get lost, and you see people making these crazy cookie crumbles with loads of different things on top at the end of the night to cap off their macros, and I think, fucking hell, like, just eat some healthy food, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna serve you a lot better, so first and foremost, food quality, um, I realise not everyone can afford organic farm-picked food, and that's fine, you can just make do with, with the most the most affordable version of that food that you can but the rules still apply you know the rules still apply um if we move a little bit further into kind of macronutrients we kind of let's touch on micronutrients we touch on micronutrients you want to make sure you're getting a wide spectrum of micronutrients this is literally from different colors different textures different vegetables from all over the world um when they're in season ideally um just because that's how things generally go if we look back to kind of when we were hunter gatherers we would eat seasonally of course because we couldn't get anything imported um so where you can eat seasonally um but really you just want to be getting as many different vegetables colors fibers textures as possible um because they just mean different micronutrients phytonutrients um and all these different things that you want to be getting hold of just be conscious of which ones may cause digestive and gi stress because for me i know i can't eat spinach and that's just me i can't eat spinach hurts my stomach so just just be wary of which which vegetables and things uh, maybe tickle you the wrong way um, and then you can kind of look into your your go-to. So I know that I have kind of eight to 12 vegetables that I can rotate through all year round and they're not going to cause me any GI stress. And I recommend that you do something similar just so you're making sure the micronutrients are covered. Something that people just don't fucking do anymore, um, which is absolutely crazy. So micronutrients, fairly, fairly covered. Um, of course, there's antioxidants in, in berries and stuff as well. So you've got to consider those. But as we move into macronutrients now, uh, let's start on protein. Now, we know for protein that for the athlete, for the athlete, we're talking about athletes here, people who undergo high muscle growth, muscle protein breakdown, high levels of performance, we know that you're going to be breaking down more muscle. We know that your protein requirements are probably going to be higher than your average Tom, Dick or Harry. Um, so the general recommendation is anywhere from two grams, you know, upward to three grams really, um, of protein per kilogram grams that is. So, you know, for me at hundred kilos, um, I could look anywhere between 220, 230 grams of protein, anywhere up to 300 grams of protein. And I think, I think what determines how high you go up on that scale somewhat can be determined by how intense you train. Um, but also personal preference, and personal preference will, will largely come into this. I love a good bit of meat. At the moment, my hunger is crazy, um, so I know that protein, we know, sorry, not, I'd also know, but we know, uh, that protein is more satiating, which gen generally, which just means, which generally means, which just means uh, it fills you up for longer. Um, and I'm really, really fucking hungry, so I've got my protein on the higher end of the scale, so when my hunger does dwindle, when I'm in the off-season, or, you know, I'm pounding down food, I can bring down protein and hopefully free up some satiation, or lack of, um, for a little bit extra food elsewhere, so that's pretty, that's, that's pretty straightforward where you can work out your protein, of course, with proteins, you want to be getting different proteins, uh, we've got to consider that what you get in a chicken versus beef is going to be largely different in terms of micronutrients, red meat, a lot more iron, uh, metals, B vitamins, things like that, which are very, very key. Um, so for women out there who go through heavy flow, who go through heavy, heavy periods, uh, you want to be kind of raising up your iron intake during those those periods of time. You might even get a craving for meat during those times, which is which is quite interesting, but that's just the body telling telling you. You need some more iron, so you know substitute a little bit more red meat in there. I personally try and get as many different types of protein as I can 
just for the similar micronutrient benefit. Um, so I have whey, I have egg whites, I have chicken, I have beef, I also have fish every now and again, um, and I just try and rotate those as much as possible. Of course, if your macronutrients restrict you from having, let's say, higher fats, you would you would you'd stay away from from higher fat cuts of meat or, or salmon or anything like that. You'd, you'd go towards the leaner meats, of course, but rotating these protein sources is always a good idea. Just so you do, kind of don't get used to one, just so you can kind of keep that variety on your palate um, as inevitably, if you're gonna go into robot mode, which is gonna happen at some point, because um, you're bodybuilders and you're trying to optimize everything, you're gonna get you're gonna have to fucking go to chicken and egg whites at some point, you know, when you're, when you're dwindling on fats on a cut, so. Rotation of food um, seems to be a good idea just to kind of keep you interested in the diet. Um, we can move a little bit further into protein. and We can go into when you could time your protein. Now, uh, we know that we want bouts of, of, of spikes in muscle protein synthesis. And we know um, that, that spiking muscle protein synthesis can come from having a complete amino acid profile source of protein. Um, which is why we stick to the lean cuts of meat, um, not even lean cuts of meat, just meat. Uh, animal proteins in general will have a full spectrum of amino acids. For example, um, whenever you're on MyFitnessPal and, and you type in bagel, there's about 10 grams of protein in bagel, but actually of that protein in the bagel, uh, you know, half of the amino acids are missing from that. So they still count as protein because it's got an amino acid profile, but it's not the complete source and the complete source is where we're trying to get the 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 leucine, the vaso, the vaso uh, leucine, and and the the real essential amino acids are what, are what missing from a, from a lot of proteins from vegetables, from rice, things like that. Um, which is why when you're vegan, vegetarian, you want to be making sure that you're pairing, for example, rice and beans. If you if you can if you if you um if you compare, what did I, did I say comparing? I meant you want to be pairing um, foods together. So if you pair um, rice and beans, you get a complete amino acid profile because what is missing from the beans is in the rice, what's missing from the rice is in the beans. Um, so that's something that you want to consider is that getting a complete amino acid profile as regularly as possible. And we know that these complete amino acid profiles, for example, in meat and chicken and eggs, um, they spike muscle protein synthesis. And that is the synthesis of new muscle, the synthesis of new proteins in the body, which is what helps recovery, repair what you got taught in GCSE uh, biology. Um, protein is the repair of all tissue or whatever it is. Um, so we know that roughly speaking, you wanna be getting spikes of this muscle protein synthesis regularly throughout the day. How regularly? Uh, in my opinion, anywhere between three and five hours. Um, obviously, considering you're probably awake for, you know, anywhere between 12 and 16, hopefully a little bit less hours a day. Um, so it's give you eight, eight, eight hours sleep there. We know that you wanna split that over three or four meals a day. Um, I have five meals a day. I don't think there's going to be any more benefit having five to four meals as long as that window is kind of being regularly regularly hit. Um, and the reason why I'd say a minimum of three hours is just so we can allow full digestion of the food to happen. Um, full digestion can take anywhere from two to four hours, you know, depending on on where you are. For example, if you're in a massive deficit, you're super super hungry, lean. I bet you you're going to digest that food very fucking quickly versus someone who's saturated with food, 5,000 calories a day, probably got food in their stomach from the last meal. That would obviously be a lot slower. So I generally say you could probably shorten that window if you were leaner. You could probably increase that window if, if you were 
on the high end or in an off season. But generally speaking, having a protein rich meal with a full amino acid complex every three to five hours is more than sufficient um, to hit your muscle protein synthesis spikes over the day. Now, like I said at the beginning of this, do you need to do that? No, you don't need to do that. People who intermittent fast can still gain weight, can still gain muscle. We're just trying to optimize things here, right? And so let's just stay optimal in terms of what we're talking about here. So regular protein feedings, you know, stick to that equation that I mentioned. Um, stick to good quality meats. Of course, you know, it comes back to that quality that we talked about at the start because you can get some shitty meats. I mean, I think they, I think in in beef mints in Tesco's, they found horse meat, you know, and it's just like, fuck, you know, not that horse meat's bad, in fact, horse meat's not bad, it's just cheaper, um, it's just, it, 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 that's weird, isn't it, that's just fucking weird, isn't it, you, you buy beef, but you've got horse in it, I don't know, it doesn't tickle me the right way, so where I can, um, I always try and buy from a, either a local farmer, or I'll buy from one of the meat companies online, which is a really sustainably, organically sourced meat, um, but, I'm also not going to be that guy and says, that's all I eat. No, I fucking don't. Because when I run out of meat, I'll run to Tesco's and I'll get it and I'll eat it um, because needs must. So again, assess your budget, assess what you can do personally and then move from there. Uh, moving on to fats. Now, generally speaking, um, anywhere between 0.6 to 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. So let's just take me again. 100 kilos for me, 60 to 80 grams a day on average. Um, so for me, I have slightly lower fats on uh, training days and slightly higher fats on non-training days, something we'll move into in a little bit. Um, but again, guys, like fats are super important. We have to consider as natural athletes, um, a huge precursor to testosterone is cholesterol. So if you're having a naturally low-fat diet, low-cholesterol diet, you're, you're inhibiting your ability to boost your testosterone. I'm not saying that if you go and have a really, really high cholesterol diet, you're going to have a real boost in, in testosterone. Um, but I would bet there'd be some fucking change there. Um, I'd love to be able to do a study. Obviously, I can't now because I'm not, I'm not natural. But I'd love to be able to take a test uh, of my testosterone and then have a real high cholesterol diet for a couple of weeks and then retest. I bet there'll be some difference. But um, this is more of a making sure that you're getting your your fatty needs and and this doesn't mean that you go get your shitty fats in we're talking about essential fatty acids here you know avocados nuts nut oils walnuts oils uh, i'm really repeating myself here um nut butters I'm trying to think what else olives hummus you know these things that have a real high quality um fatty acid in it so you're making sure you're getting your omegas you know from 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 high fat fishes um, and you're you're getting your you're getting enough triglycerides and and you, and you're making sure you're hitting these essential fatty acid sources because it's very very easy. Like I was talking about with the protein in a bagel, it's very very easy to accumulate fat as well. You know, in that same bagel, there's 10 grams of protein which is incomplete. There's also three or four grams of fat which is not the best sort of fat. You know, it's probably going to be from vegetable oil which is not essentially where you want to be getting it from. You want to be getting it from much better sources with higher micronutrition better micronutrition um so that is something to consider is the trace fats that do accumulate and i would argue that making sure you get a very good essential fatty acid source as a huge bulk of your fats for the day is a hundred percent going to benefit you in terms of optimizing things um so if you're someone who's, who's having a lot of trace fats either try and reduce the, the trace fats and increase the essential fatty acids 
or just increase the essential fatty acids uh, on top of what you're having already if you're in a surplus of course if you're in a deficit it's a little bit different of a question but generally speaking you can use that equation as an average across the week um, again personal preference comes into it some people prefer eating more fats um, some people prefer, prefer eating more carbohydrates for example i noticed that a lot of my female clients i say a lot haven't got very many um she's my girlfriend as example she loves fats she, she, she'll have a little a few more fats than, than most people so whereas for most people i would take away their fats on a training day i ask her what would you prefer what would you prefer to take away this week would you prefer to to have less carbohydrates or would you prefer to have less fats and obviously gauging on what the current eating routine is the meal plan is you can just make a nice conscious choice as to what you do so don't think this is gospel macronutrients are inter are intertwinable except for protein i would say um, to a certain extent um, but just making sure that you're hitting that minimum where you can and again where you can is the, is the key ingredient there because of course uh, if you're in a deficit you're going to have to take away from fats at some point and hormones will be compromised but that is just the facet of bodybuilding um, I'm pretty sure that's fats covered uh, if again if, if, if you've got any questions that come up with this just drop me a dm and i'll answer you the best i can i have no way shape or form an expert on this this is just my experience and the things that i've gathered over the years um so don't think i'm gonna have all the answers and don't be pissed off if i say sorry dude i don't know because i'll be honest with you if i don't um carbohydrates so the rest of your calories could be considered to come from carbohydrates now if we take four thousand calories for example uh, I'm 100 kilos, I'm times it by two, I've got 200 grams of protein, I've got 80 grams of fats. I know that if I times 200 by four um, and then 80 by, by nine, because we know that in one gram of protein there's four calories and in one gram of fat there's nine calories, that's going to give me a calorie, a calorie amount. I take away that calorie amount from the 4,000 and I know that the rest of the 4,000 calories can come from carbohydrates. Now, the big thing about carbohydrates is that they are a huge driver for performance. We are working in a glycolytic environment, which means an environment that you need carbohydrates. Um, therefore, it would be silly to not have carbohydrates when you're, mus when you're muscle building, when you're trying to gain weight and weight training, because we, that demand for energy for carbohydrates is there. Um, now, if we talk a little bit about I don't need to talk about types of, of, of carbohydrates because it's the same across everything. Quality, of course, you can have 50 grams of sweets or you can have 50 grams of fruit or, or, or potato or, or whatever it is. Um, we know which one's going to probably help you better. Um, in terms of carbohydrate timing, now we know that peri-workout nutrition is pretty important. Peri just means around, so around the workout nutrition. Pre, intra and post. Now, pre, um, you need glycogen to perform, right? So if you've got no glycogen stores in your body, um, in your muscle, I should say, because you're always going to have some sort of glycogen stores in your liver. Um, but if you've got no glycogen stores in your, in your muscle, your performance is most likely going to be affected. Now, this doesn't mean that when you wake up in the morning and you're fasted, you can't go train because you can, because you can store glycogen from the night before. It's more of your total intake for the day. Now, if you feel like you're on a low intake for the day, for example, when I'm when I'm in a deficit and I've only got a couple hundred grams of carbs a day, 
I'm going to have a large portion of those pre, inter, and post workouts so we can promote recovery and performance. If you've got fuckloads available, like for example, right now I'm on 650 carb a day on my high training days, that's easy, right? Like, I, I could train whenever. I could wake up and go train. I could train in the evening. It's not going to make a crazy amount of difference because the glycogen demand is always there. Um, all the glycogen um, uh, deposits are all there, are all there. The stores are all there. They're, they're fine. I'm always full. So it's not a big deal. But if you're someone who's a little bit macronutrient deficient, um, then it'd be something to consider. Now, we've established pre. You want you want to be having something pre if you can. If not, not a huge deal. Now, intra. Now, intra is very, very interesting. Now, if we consider that when we're working out, we are breaking down muscle, that is by definition catabolic. So the most catabolic we will be is when we're training. How ironic is that? To build muscle, we have to break muscle. We have to be catabolic. Now, we know from research that the combination of EAAs, essential amino acids, and a, uh, a very easily absorbable insulinogenic um, carbohydrate, such as highly branched cyclic dextrin, um, intra-workout can actually help mitigate or, or reduce that muscle protein breakdown. So it could be quite a good idea to have 20 grams of EAAs, 20 grams of highly branched cyclic dextrin um, while you're training. Um, I would go for no more than 20 to 30 grams per hour that you're training. Um, I can't remember the guy. I can't remember the guy's name, but he did a study on basically how much glycogen you are depleting, um, and it worked out at like 20 to 20 to 50 grams of of carbohydrate per hour, depending how big you are, right? So for most of you natty little folks, <laughs> it's probably going to be like 20 to 30 grams maximum. So so I would just have that. And why would I have highly branched cyclodextrin? Because it's got high osmolarity, which means it just passes through the gastric lining very, very quickly, um, and it's got a nice molecular. It's got a, an optimal molecular weight, which also promotes gastric emptying, which just means it basically goes in and it and it passes through very, very quickly. Versus like a dextrose, which probably needs a little bit more digestion, a little bit more blood to the stomach, and we don't want blood to the stomach. We want blood to the muscles. We want blood for performance. Um, so that's why I would choose a highly branched dextrin over pretty much every every powder. It is a little bit more expensive, but for 20 to 30 grams a day, like, or, or a workout even so five times a week, you, you, like, you can get a kilo bag for, for like 30 quid these days. So that's gonna last you a couple months. So intra-workout uh, carbohydrates and, and, and a little bit of protein. Um, and then post-workout. Now this will be your biggest carbohydrate meal of the day. Um, why? Pretty self-explanatory deplete carbohydrate stores, replenish carbohydrate stores. But if we get a little bit more technical with that, we know that physical uh, anaerobic, um, sorry, high intensity training. So this could be sprints, this could be weight training, for example. Obviously, we're using weight training as the example here. Drives the upregulation of glucose transporter 4. Um, you could just literally literally uh, Google GULT4, GLUT4, um, and it will give you a pretty, pretty comprehensive review actually on 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 like the first page I think it was, and this is essentially a glucose transporter. Who would have thought that transports gl glucose? Who would have thought um, to the muscles and, and to where that needs it? And we have an upregulation of these, so we have more ability to transport glucose after training because there's an upregulation during training. So it makes sense. That we that we feed that upregulation with an upregulation of carbohydrates, your biggest proportion of carbohydrates. So for me at the moment, I have about 150 grams um, of my 650 post workout. It's a pretty big chunk, um, just to kind of accommodate that 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 recovery process. 
Um, and that's pretty much it. I wouldn't worry too much where the rest of your carbohydrates fall. Fall, sorry. Um, the only thing I would say that would maybe beneficial is a pretty decent chunk of carbohydrates pre-bed. I don't mean another 150 grams or another big chunk. I just mean you know, a nice substantial meal of carbohydrates pre-bed because we know that actually a nice satisfying meal um, of carbohydrates can release dopamine and actually in, uh, exhibit serotonin release, which are two precursors to having a good sleep. Dopamine helping you get to sleep, serotonin helping you stay asleep. So actually a pre-bed I have oats, pre-bed meal of oats. Actually, you know when you feel sleepy after a big carb meal? It's real. It does work. It is a thing. Um, and that's why I would potentially have a bigger proportion of my carbohydrates pre-bed. But again, if you're hypocaloric when you're in a deficit, um, I would look towards the peri-workout nutrition. That was a very, very consistent amount of talking for not enough sips on my monster. So, Ooh. Oh, it tastes good. Oh, it tastes good. Cool. So, uh, we have done protein, uh, fats, carbohydrates. So, let's talk a little bit about training versus non-training days. So, here's my thought process between having higher amounts of calories available on a training day. For me, it's self-explanatory, but people still can't get their head around it. I'm doing more. I have higher activity. I have a higher glycogen demand on a training day, so I'm going to feed that. The demand, the the the, the glucose transport of four is there post workout. The demand for recovery is there that day. It's not there the next day. You know, of course you still need to recover and, and feed yourself the next day, but the demand for glycogen is on that day. Um, so for me, when I'm doing and performing a glycolytic demanding exercise or day, I'm going to have a higher amount of glycogen that day. Um, it doesn't mean that the calories need to differ massively on training and non-training days. It just means that the glycogen should be a little bit higher on the days that you need glycogen. Um, and in my opinion, having the higher amount of glycogen anecdotally really, really helps me. Um, I really, really help. I really, really feel the recovery. I really, really feel the performance increase. Um, and in turn, it allows me to put my fats up on non-training days, which again allows me to have more micronutrition from fatty acids. Um, and a wider spectrum of fatty acids go in because whereas I have maybe 60 grams of, of fat on my training days, I can have upward of 90 grams on my non-training days and get a lot more fats, um, a lot more micronutrition and some different foods in there as well, which can really, really help mentally and psychologically. And then, of course, dropping the carbohydrates down um, can actually have a, a good a good impact on your insulin sensitivity. So right now, um, on my rest days, I fast till about midday. So it's currently 11 a.m. I'm doing this podcast. I've still not eaten. I've just had uh, one black coffee and now this monster, which would be my only caffeine for the day. And I won't eat until till midday. Um, and and actually spending that 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 12 to 16 hour fasted, we know that can actually really help uh, insulin sensitivity, which is something that I want to maintain in this off season as carbohydrates get crazy crazy high. Um, you know, 850, 900 grams of carbs a day, because it will get there. And insulin, insulin sensitivity will probably be affected. And this is something that I want to maintain as much as possible. Something else you can do is if you are, let's say, I've only got 250 grams of carbs to eat on my on my non-training days, is I can actually backload those carbohydrates. Similarly, for the reason of, of sleep in the evening, I can do that as well um, with the backloading. But also spending the first few meals absent from carbohydrates can further improve your insulin 
insulin sensitivity. So when right now I do have carbohydrates in every single meal, so I, I, I fast a little bit more. But if I wasn't fasting, I would definitely have a couple meals that would just be protein and fat um, and just kind of lower that glycemic variability over the day. Of course, I'd still get a little bit of spike from the protein and fats, but a much less significant spike of glycemic variability over the day, which which we know can actually help reduce all-cause mortality. Glycemic variability, inflammation are two huge um, indicators of, of health, wealth, and, 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 and longevity. So, so these are some things that I'm, I'm considerate of. Um, that's yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of training days and, and different differences. There's nothing too special about it. Again, I would I would honestly say that this is probably the least of the marginal gains that you could get in terms of different training day foods and macros. You can have the same over both days if you feel like it's better, um, and you don't like having those days where you're not eating very much on the non-training days. I feel you. I don't really like it that much either. But I know that I feel better personally, and and I I urge you to try it. Um, to go from there. So more nutrition, um, digestion. Now digestion, you guys, I guys, me guys, we guys do not think about it enough. Um, and I didn't really think about it a lot until probably about two years ago um, when I literally just couldn't eat anymore. And I was eating three and a half thousand calories. And I thought, why am I so poor at digesting? Di that digesting and then I looked at my diet and I'm thinking, I'm fucking buying something from the stall every single day. I'm I'm having this, you know, like a, there's this place called the Jollof Box, which is literally just loads of different spices, loads of different curries and stuff. I had that every single day and I'm like, oh, well, that's probably it because my stomach's not responding well to it. So, guys, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, burping, farting is not normal. They call it the protein farts. I don't protein fart. I don't do that unless I have something poor, you know, like, for example, I'll, when I have a cheat meal, I'll go out and have whatever it is, dairy, uh, different spices, cool, then I'll, you know, then I'll fart and stuff because I've got gastric stress, that's all that is, a bad reaction in terms of passing gas, anything to do with irregular stool is just gastric stress and digestion issues, it's not normal, so if you are someone who frequently passes gas, gas, frequently has loose stool or constipation or bloating, it's your diet, it's not really anything else, it could be stress, but most likely it's going to be your diet, so this means assessing what you eat, when do you feel bloated, when do you pass gas, which meal is it making you have a stomach ache, you know, and, and, and being able to draw these these lines between foods and gastric stress or digestion is going to be a huge, huge win for you if you can if you can nail the co the correlations between the the two and really make sure that you're pushing toward not having those things. I would argue that that is going to pr provide a better result by having no digestion issues, being hungry all the time, well, not all the time, but you know being hungry when your meal's there, digesting easy, passing stool very, very easily, not having to sit there and squeeze, not having to run to the toilet either, but just waking up, okay, cool, I need to go to the toilet now, and then it's all easy, it's fine, that should be your goal, um, I hate to get to the nitty gritty with, with fucking taking a dump and stuff, but it's, it's the reality, like, if you run into that toilet in the morning, like, there's an issue there, um, and it's an issue that you need to address, and it all be down to food choices, so, the trigger foods for me, um, or the trigger foods I would urge my clients to look out for, would be dairy. Um, specifically, if you're Asian as well, if you're Asian, you're having a lot of, and you're having dairy, and it's hurting your stomach. That's probably why. 
Um, if we look at an the ancestral vibes again, you know, Asians, Asian people, what are you, what are you mostly eating? You know, not dairy, really. Uh, I'm talking about Far East Asian. I know, I know, Indian, Bengalis, a lot of uh, a lot of milk is, is 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 part of the diet as well. So they probably be fine. And then you know, likewise for white English Scandinavian people, you give them a load of spices that Indians eat. It's probably gonna fuck them up as well. You know, so things to look out for: dairy, gluten, um, beans, pulses, lentils, green beans. Um, any kind of fibrous green may may is the key word. Um, for, for example, I'm pretty good with green beans, but I know people who are absolutely awful with green beans. Um, I'm really really bad with lentils, but I'm really really fine with beans. So you know, it, it, it is an individual response. It's just up to you to kind of work out what what happens. And my best advice for that would be to eat the same foods, eat the same foods every single day. Change one thing at one time, um, and then you know the variables. You know, if you eat every single thing the same, okay, cool. I've got a bad stomach. Cool. Let's let's take out all the dairy. Oh, it's gone. There's your answer. Okay, I've got a bad stomach. Let's take out the dairy. I'm st oh, I've still got a bad stomach. Cool. So you can put the dairy back in. Let's try gluten. Uh, there we go. It's, it's finished. There's your answer. You know, so you've got to be patient. It does take time, but I'm I'm hoping that the guys listening, the guys and girls listening to this, you're trying to be optimal. Um, so you've got the time to do it. So I would definitely put the effort into looking into your digestion. Um, and, and not run to a supplement, not run to a digestive enzyme, not run to, you know, things that are going to help you digest more because at the end of the day, if you can't digest without a supplement, then there's something fundamentally wrong there. Um, this takes me on to supplements. Now, supplements, uh, it's going to be the shortest one of this is why I wanted to put it in the middle because I know that training is going to be a little bit while. Um, supplements are definitely non-essential. You can get a lot of this stuff from food, specifically micronutrition. But if you're not able to get that micronutrition in, a greens powder is a good idea. A multivitamin is a good idea. Um, if you're not eating a lot of red meat, you're maybe hypercaloric. In fact, in fact, everyone should be taking creatine. Every single person on this planet should be taking five grams of creatine every single day. No loading phase. Uh, we know there's a big, big, it's the most researched supplement on this planet. We know it has a, an increased training performance. We know it's going to increase your power output. We know it's going to increase your energy source. But we actually know it's got a cognitive benefit as well. Um, I don't know the ins and the outs to the point that I would like to talk about it on the podcast. Um, but I just know that there is a lot of good cognitive benefits in terms of methylation, um, turnover of different enzymes in, in, in the brain that you just need to kind of in fact, I'm just gonna I'm just, I'm just gonna stop there because I'm not gonna do it justice, and I, and I don't like to talk about things that I don't know the ins and the outs of. So I just know that a lot of people should would benefit from creatine, um, especially if you're vegan or vegetarian as well, because of the lack of meat and the creatinine in your diet. Um, things like curcumin, anti-inflammatories can really really play a good part, especially if you're high into an off season where inflammation is going to be a little bit higher. So liposomal curcumin, liposomal glutathione for 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 kidney health. Um, I definitely think these are things that you can 100% put into your into your your diet and your your supplement regime. We consider that kidneys really have to deal with a lot of protein breakdown, a lot of protein, a lot of creatine. You want to be supporting that 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 organ the best that you can. Um, your supplement list is not going to be like someone who's on steroids who's going to look after liver, heart, kidney, you know, every single organ that you've got. Um, I just think that kidney in general takes up takes a pretty big beating over the years, especially if you're training hard um, and eating a lot of protein. So I definitely think that glutathione would be a good support um, for you. Um, 
And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. A little bit of caffeine pre-workout um, and some citrulline things to kind of help with with just generally a pre-workout would, would be a good idea. I don't want to go through all the ingredients of a pre-workout, but a good solid pre-workout will 100% help your help your workout. We know that caffeine's also very, very, very researched and it can 100% lead to a better performance. So um, those are the main things that you want to be looking at. Anything else is just kind of luxury, for example, like CBD. I wouldn't say this is going to enhance your performance, but if you are suffering from, you know, poor sleep, anxiety, things like that, it can help. But this is this is this whole podcast is with regards to you've got everything else sorted and how to get everything else sorted. So I'll leave the supplements there. Um, training now. Training is going to be uh, training is definitely an important one. First and foremost, are you training hard enough? Are you training intense stuff? We know from research that you are really, really diminishing your returns if you're working below a 7 out of 10 to failure. And I'm talking a real 7 out of 10 to failure. Not like a, yeah, I think I've got three more. I'm talking like, fuck me, I think I've got three more, but I might need help on the last one. That kind of intensity. That kind of intensity will elicit the hypertrophy response that you need. Um, so if you want, do yourself a favor. If you're not counting your RPE, if you've never been to true failure, go to true failure and use that as your scale back off three back off two back off one or indeed work to failure like i do which i personally love um, we know the higher up that scale closer to 10 you get the higher the hypertrophy response now is there going to be much difference between eight and ten there will be a little bit of a difference but the caveat to that is recovery as you get closer to 10 the recovery capabilities, the ability for that muscle to recover by the next time you train it, diminishes. Now, you need to find your sweet spot. For me, my volume is pretty low. Um, obviously, as you get higher in the intensity, your volume has to come down. By volume, I just mean sets, reps, things like that. So for me, I'm at 10 out of 10 on everything. The maximum that I'm doing is like three sets on isolations and no more than like two sets on a big compound movement. Sometimes I even do one set, but just to true all-out muscular, screaming, fucking failure. This doesn't mean that you need to do it. You can 100% back off to that seven, and you can do three or four sets, but that seven has to be there. The working sets have to be working sets, not just fluff, not just fucking around in a gym saying I'm doing four sets of this to get a pump. That doesn't work. That Okay, it does work, but if you want to be optimal, you need to be working off that intensity scale. So please, please, please do yourself a favor. Just fucking get to failure once and you'll feel the benefits um, immediately because you're going to know, you're going to have a true scale for going to failure. But if you've never been there, you've never had some fucking ginger gorilla stood over you saying one more rep, one more rep, one more fucking rep, then you don't know what true failure is. Um, and then you can kind of work off that intensity. Um, in terms of programming, I would definitely go for a more frequent approach. Um, I don't think that is difficult because there's a caveat to frequency now the frequency core it makes sense because in my in my head i'm thinking core we're stimulating the muscle frequently muscle protein signals muscle protein sensor signals last for about 72 hours um so we know that every two to three days we want to be hitting that muscle again now is it is it that we're sending that muscle that that signal more frequently mean we're going to build more muscle i think so personally i don't know the ins and the outs of the science but I think so. But more importantly, what I think frequency brings to the table is your ability to perform your total volume for the week or over 10 days 
at a much higher intensity and higher ability. So if you're doing chest, back, shoulders, arms, legs over the week, and you're doing 20 sets on your chest in that chest session. Now, let's say that chest session takes two hours. Uh, we know that your energy is going to get lower. We know your ability to focus is going to get lower. Um, and I would say that those first 10 sets would probably be pretty good. But every set, you know, after that, your returns on that set are going to diminish and diminish and diminish. So what makes sense to me is taking that 20 sets that you've done, that you're trying to do over that one day, and splitting it over two days. And doing 10 sets on the Monday, and maybe wait that 72 hours that we talked about in terms of muscle protein synthesis. And if you're not recovered by that 72 hours, maybe leave it another day. And then go again for those second 10 sets. Because that same amount of work, those same amount of 20 sets over the week. Because let's say you do chest every Monday, right? Because it's chest Monday. You, so you're doing 20 sets on the Monday. You've got to wait another week for those 20 sets. But in fact, if you split those 20 sets into 10, 10, you know, 10, 10, 10, 10, the ability to perform over those 10 sets is going to be much, much higher than if it was 20 sets. I hope that makes sense to you, just in terms of energy reservations, energy demands over the day. You know, of course, you're going to dwindle. Focus is going to dwindle. Um, it makes more sense to split that volume up over the day. So that's what I want to say about frequency. Uh, total volume work sets is very, very individual. People will say, how many sets for this? How many sets for that? I'm going to give you a rough idea, right? Start with the least that you physically can. Uh, let's say a minimum of six, right? A minimum start of six sets on everything. If everything feels good, if numbers fly up, if you recover really, really easy, if you feel like you can do more, go to eight. If that feels easy, go to 10. If that feels easy, go to 12. And you're eventually going to find the place where you can do the most amount that you can and still recover from it. Um, essentially, we call that a minimum effective volume, right? So you want to be doing the minimum effective volume to elicit the response that we want over the week or over the 10 days or over time um, and completely maximize your ability to build muscle. And you're going to find that different body parts are going to respond differently. You know, for example, my arms respond to quite high volume, but I know that if I did loads of volume on my chest, I would just stop progressing. So it's up to you. Yes, it is up to you <laughs> to find out where your effective volume is going to be, which is going to be different for me. It's going to be different from someone else. It's going to be different from someone else. So the general guidelines, you know, aim for anywhere between 6 to 15 sets on everything per week. Maybe a little bit more if you can handle it, you know, and then split those over a few sessions and just see how you respond. See your engagement. See, see your, your, your response physically, visually. See your ability to perform. See how well you're recovering. And just take this data and make an informed decision based off that. Um, that's pretty much where I'm going to finish training. I realize I'm creeping up on 42 minutes now. So I'm going to try and wrap up the final bits a little bit quicker. Um, recovery. So recovery is massively overlooked, right? Recovery is going to be the most important thing you need to be recovering as though it is your job you know you do not grow when you train as we said earlier on you are catabolic when are you anabolic when you're resting when you're training uh, sorry when you're resting when you're sleeping so first and foremost sleep you need to be making sure you're getting a minimum of seven and a half hours of sleep you need to be aiming for four or five sleep cycles a night which are approximately about 90 minutes again individual variancy will will change but you really, really want to be trying to get a minimum of seven and a half hours a day because you will increase your chances of dying. 
<laughs> there's no other way to put that but you know the the risk of all cause mortality goes up significantly when you when you sleep below 7 hours when you sleep below 6 hours it's absolutely crazy i think it's something like 67% increase on all cause mortality if you haven't heard um, of Matthew Walker, I urge you to go look into his books, go look into his podcast with Joe Rogan, it's the scariest shit you're ever going to hear, you know, and you're going to want to fucking sleep until you're dead, quite literally, otherwise it's going to happen even quicker, um, so really, really try and aim for seven and a half hours plus, there's a lot of good, there's a plethora of research into sleep and maintaining lean body mass, increasing lipolysis, which is uh, the movement of free fatty acids, essentially burning body fat, so Quite literally, if you sleep better, you will be leaner and have more muscle. It is literally as simple as that. So if you are not focusing on your sleep hygiene, um, I have a f two or three YouTube videos focusing on sleep hygiene. I have a podcast focusing on sleep hygiene, all the different things that you can do to improve your sleep. Um, from the moment you wake up, would you believe, until the moment you go to sleep. You can do things from the moment you wake up, such as looking at the sunlight, um, getting that circadian rhythm booming to improve your sleep hygiene at night. I'm not gonna, this is not a sleep podcast, so I'm not going to go crazy on the sleep, but you need to be focusing on your sleep. Self-care, um, foam rolling, massage, stretching. Are you doing things to promote a parasympathetic nervous system? For those of you guys that don't know, parasympathetic is a state which we are resting and recovering. The opposite of that is sympathetic, which is when we are in fight or flight. So, of course, being in a crazy sympathetic life where caffeine raises your sympathetic nervous system, training raises your sympathetic nervous system, um, stress, you know, all these different things will raise your sympathetic nervous system. We are surrounded by things that drive that sympathetic response, but we are trying to do the opposite. This means you might need to meditate. This means you might need to take five to ten minutes to just chill out in the morning, take some deep breaths, it might mean that you want to just put your feet up and play some games, you know, in the evening, it might mean you spend some time on Netflix with your girlfriend or boyfriend, um, or if you are gender neutral, whatever, he, she, her, ex, person X, um, and just chill, you know, because the mental and psychological benefits of doing so will massively help your ability to perform the next day. Um, I have recently introduced a full entire rest day from work uh, on Saturdays. I don't respond to messages. I don't respond to emails. I just switch the fuck off. And by Sunday morning, I am chomping to get going. Um, and I urge you guys to do something similar. So again, I have a uh, sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system podcast. So please go back and find that um, and focus on that sympathetic. Um, guys, um, anything else on there? I mean, little things that you can do that are probably a little bit overkill, but blood tests, you can get blood tests done. I would recommend Medichex as an at-home service. Um, use Josh Bridgman for discount. You can get a full panel on your hormones, your inflammation, your kidney, your liver, your lipids, and everything like that, just to see if you're optimal. And if you're not, you can tweak things. You know, you don't know where your LDL cholesterol is. You don't know where your HDL cholesterol is. If those things are out of whack, you are, you know, increasing your chances of and your risk of, of, of heart disease and arteriosclerosis, and you can put yourself in a better position through your diet, exercise, and training. And I urge you to do so. Um, yeah, I, I reckon I reckon this is pretty comprehensive. Uh, there is always more things that I could talk about, um, but again, this is creeping up on an hour's podcast now. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about the long-form ones. I did want to get some questions in, so I'm going to quickly run through 
maybe five to ten questions, but that is nutrition, training, digestion, supplements, recovery, sleep, all these things that you could be focusing on to improve your ability to perform as a natural athlete. Okie dokie, lemon cokey. That is completely made up. Let's get on to some Q&As. I'm going to try and make this an hour on the dot. So 13 minutes, 12 minutes of Q&As, and I'm wasting time. I um, apologize. Okay, so uh, what does CBD oil do? Like, what are the effects of it, bruh? Uh, so CBD is non-psychoactive. It is the, it's called cannabidiol. It is part of the cannabis plant. It is one of the, the many, many um, parts of the cannabis plant. There's CBG, CBM, CBD, um, and they all have a range of health benefits. So CBD specifically can reduce anxiety, can help with hunger, um, sorry, like things like um, stomach problems, stomach issues, um, IBS. Um, it can help with a little bit of sleep, can help you relax in the evening to get to sleep, which is cool. Um, but generally speaking, CBD, uh, it can be a little bit anti-inflammatory as well. Um, would I recommend it for everyone? I would try it. I would try it and, and see if it can help you. But if you've got everything else sorted, it's, it's just like a... People often say, oh, I've got bad sleep, I have CBD. You don't want to put a Band-Aid on a fucking war wound. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you've got everything else in place, cool, it might have a really good effect. But if you're struggling for for whatever, sleep, but you've, you're staring at a screen until you go to bed, there's a lot of other things that you can do first. So CBD is definitely cool. Um, I enjoy it. I'm fortunate to be sponsored by a, a CBD company because it is quite expensive. Um, but I 100% back it and enjoy it every single night so would recommend what was your favorite cheat meal um at the moment all you can eat chinese because i just cannot get enough of this one place that is by my girlfriend's house called moon and moon if anyone lives in the sunbury area jesus very fucking good um i'm also craving a burger at the moment but i don't really have like regular cheat meals um to be honest like once a week i'll eat something off plan most of the time it ends up being Nando's, so it's not even really off meal because I can track all the calories. Um, but yeah, in, in general, something like a naughty Chinese or Thai, 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 Thai. Love a Thai. Uh, what do you think qualifies someone to be coaching someone? Um, I think experience. I think confidence in what they do. I think a demonstration of knowledge um is 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 a good start um not necessarily even before the experience you know because how do you get the experience you know you've got to get clients first so you've got to demonstrate the knowledge first you've got to demonstrate on yourself on other people um so yeah i'd say those are the most important things that you should consider before getting a coach or being or considering yourself a a coach um, a lot of these questions are kind of how to maximize things but obviously we just did a, a full thing about it Given your heart worries, did you ha did you make your question taking gear? So here's the thing, like, when I first had these heart palpitations, the first thing I thought was, fuck, I can't bodybuild anymore, rather than, like, fuck, I can't, I'm going to die. Like, the first thing I thought was, I can't bodybuild anymore because I'm going to have to stop taking steroids and I'm going to have to do this, you know, because, of course, I don't want to die. I'm not going to take steroids if it's going to make me die. I'm talking, like, immediately. Of course taking them is going to reduce my longevity is going to reduce my possibility of living forever um, but i'm confident in the fact that i could recover when i'm all said and done with with steroids um but yeah like it was a realization that fuck i am i'm treading in in deep water here and i am 
standing in the grey area, closer to the black area um, rather than the white area. And and yeah, of course, like when you take these things and things go wrong, you think, is it that? Was it that? I've got heart problems in my family and I think I'm taking some stuff that's going to potentially mess with that. It was definitely a, a real thought that came through my head, but fortunately, the, you know, it wasn't that or isn't that for now. But of course, it's something that I have to continuously ask myself as we move forward, which is a shame. But it is what it is. This, this was the game that I got into. You know, I know the risks. I know what I'm doing. I know I'm increasing all of these problems I could potentially having. Is this is why I'm so against the advi- like giving advice on steroids and telling people to do it because it's fucking forever. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to be the next Dallas McCarver or not, and it's it's a shame. Uh, does it make sense to take supplement vitamin D outside of summer um, or in fall and winter? It 100% does. Less sunlight, less vitamin D uh, turnover. Um, I would recommend just getting your vitamin D tested. I'm pretty sure your your GP or local doctor can do it. If not, I'm sure there's some private blood tests that you can do. If you're in the UK, MediChecks do it. And you can just see where your vitamin D levels are and you can either supplement or you can or you can not. Um, so, yeah. Um, how long did it... How long did it take food focus to subside post show as a natty? So it, it didn't, it was no difference between natty or not, dude. Um, a lot of people ask me, what's the difference? Well, there's no fucking difference. Like, you're still fucking hungry. Um, for me, probably about a month. Um, probably in both scenarios, it took about a month, four weeks, five weeks. Not that I'm, I'm not food focused now. I'm just really fucking hungry. Like, I'm not focusing on burgers and, and dirty foods like I was in, in my competition I, I'm just I'm just hungry for food in general I don't care if it's healthy or unhealthy I just want food uh, but there was no real difference between uh, natty or not how to deal with the mental side of not being able to train properly for a shoulder injury uh, it is what it is dude the cookie has crumbled get on with it what are you going to do to make yourself better are you rehabbing are you prehabbing are you getting things uh, in place for when you come back um, are you setting yourself up for success in the future of course you've got to dwindle you've got to mourn you've got to be sad but not for longer than a couple of days dude just got to get back up on that horse and keep moving um so yeah what is a healthy weight gain after a show um it would very, very much depend how lean you got. If you were truly stage lean, I would stick on three or five kilo, three to five kilos immediately, um, in the form of fat as well. Um, so if that means that you weren't completely full, it might mean that you pushed up to seven or eight kilos with at least four or five kilo fat gain because it's just not healthy to be that lean. So I would immediately go from that. I would then just look at composition. Um, and increase food accordingly. Um, it, it's very, very individual. You couldn't like stick a stick a, a number on it for sure. Um, if you were told to stop bodybuilding today, would you continue coaching? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like coaching is my job. Coaching is my my passion at the moment. Um, and one hundred percent, I do see a future um, for the foreseeable future in coaching. So, of course, of course. Um, do I have a workout that I will always remember? Yes, I will. Um, me, Deshti, and Ule, we took about 800 milligrams of caffeine. Literally. It was fucking unbelievable. The most euphoric I had ever felt in a workout. Uh, but the most horrendous that I felt after. <laughs> very, very quickly. But I will never forget that. Um, it was at the fitness mill. We were throwing weights around that I should not have been throwing around. Um, but yeah. 
after the judges' feedback last time, will you change your shorts? Yes, I will. I will 100% change my shorts, which is funny. It's funny that they said that. It's funny that they actually say change your shorts when they're supposed to be marking the physique, right? But it is what it is. Um, I definitely will. Do you think Ryan Terry has a chance of winning the O? I personally don't think so. Um, he's got that. He got a second once. I just think his arms are too weak. His back is too weak. And the guys at the top are a little bit wider, I would say. He's a little bit blocky for me. But never say never. Um, is posting a physique update or leg vein picture every three hours optimal? I think he's taking the piss of me. Piss out of me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, what did you make of Loughborough Uni? Has it helped you with what you do now? Um, it didn't. hasn't helped me with what I do now. It was an amazing experience for my friends and my friends only. Uh, I didn't really go to many lectures. I didn't really. I had real bad anxiety and a lot of issues at uni. So I actually did a podcast on it. It was called My Darkest Times. So you can go back and listen to that. But I will never regret uni. Um, the lifestyle, the freedom, the solidarity, the camaraderie that I built there was unbelievable. So I would 100% recommend Loughborough. It was very, very nice. Um, God, some of these questions are awful. Um, could you talk about how you warm up for, before lifting? Yep, so I lift, I, I warm up in the mo- in the movements. After a little bit of priming, um, I warm up in the mo- the movement. So if I'm doing a bench press... Uh, or a flat machine press, I should say, because I don't bench press, and I've got and I, my top set is five plates. I'll literally do one plate, two plate, three plate, four plate, four and a half plate, five plate, literally like that. Couple reps, couple reps, couple reps. Warm up, get some blood flowing, get the tendons, you know, bouncing. Not actually bouncing, but just moving. Um, and in general, just just slowly warming up to when I feel ready and when I feel connected to that muscle and ready to fucking put every single thing into it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Transitioning from a cut to bulk, this will be the last question. Transitioning from a cut into a bulk is as simple as bringing your calories up very, very slowly. And that is it. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I hope you natties got a lot out of this. Um, don't forget to drop me a review, um, a five-star rating. And if it's below, don't even bother. No, I'm joking. Do what you want. Uh, leave a comment. Drop me a message. I hope you guys are well. I will speak to you very, very soon. Peace and love, everybody. Bye-bye.